Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier and joining me, the Not Fucking Around crew, it's Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. What's up, boys? I told you, Justin, don't let us get one. Don't let us get one takeoff on this podcast. We're just going to keep them rolling. Uh, it's true. And now here we are potentially knocking off the Church of Boston. That's what they say <laughs> in the movie, right? Is it? I don't know. I actually, I went like skimming through the script of the town very furiously before because I'm like, did I remember this correctly? I remember like John Hamm yelling about a bridge. Yep. Uh, I remember the sunshine stuff at the end, but all the other stuff uh, just is kind of coming in and out. Oh, God. The town. I mean, when's the last time anybody has thought about this movie this much, even outside of our company, which is very town forward for sure. We, we love the town here. But holy moly, uh, whose car are we taking, guys? Let's get this show on the road. <laughs> Would you have picked a different Boston movie if you were, were Joe Mazzullo? Like, are you a black mass, like, deep cut head? I feel no, like I'm, I'm, are you not a fever pitch guy? I feel like you're a fever pitch guy. <laughs> is, is that is that the, the baseball movie with Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, that's the yeah. one. No, I've never seen that mm. um, by, by design. Uh, I think... What have I seen besides uh, The Departed, The Town? Outside of Providence doesn't count, does it? It's just a New England movie <laughs> and not a Boston movie. Uh, it's all the yeah, same, Was that's, The that's Fighter. That's I could think about. Oh, Maybe. The Fighter. I've seen The Fighter. Goodwill Hunting. But I'm pretty sure those are the only Boston movies ever made, those five. Yeah, that's it. That's that's all it does. For me. But The Fighter was fire. 
All right. So after we get your your top five white Americans, we'll get your top five Boston movies, <laughs> which is basically the same top. A lot five, of overlap. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, we are going to talk about the Lakers and LeBron James later in this podcast, much to the chagrin of, of, of our friend Wozni here. Uh, but first, we have to talk about the Celtics staying alive last night in Miami. Finally, get a big Jason Tatum game. Finally, get some timeouts from Joe Mazzula. Um, Rob, how, how let's start here because we're recording <laughs> in the morning as opposed to right after the game as as per usual. So let's let's be a little bit more forward thinking. Um, how sustainable do you think this is for Boston? Do you think that like they in air quotes found something, or was this more of just a, a you know a one off? We got one, and this is inevitability. It, it, look, it's a great question in any, any playoff series, but especially with the Celtics, where often finding something is just like, did you focus for the full half? Yeah. Did you did you really invest in like the decision making process of what this basketball game needs to be? I think for the most part to be totally honest, I think mostly things just happened. They played hard, they played well, they made shots. I would err more on that side of the, of things than like something has materially changed in this series. My only caveat to that would be sometimes with Boston that's enough. Like they are such a momentum team where when things do start going well, all of a sudden, everything starts clicking into place. And I think the uncharitable read on that is that the Celtics can can kind of be a front-running group sometimes. And versus when the game is hard, they are just kind of standing around looking at each other. I think maybe the more charitable way would be to say like, okay, once we get a couple of these things, Al Horford knocking down some shots, Bam at a bio looking a little more contained, a little more mortal, like some of the dynamics of the series starting to break their way, maybe that can really give them something to work with. So I would say, ultimately, there was not like some great strategic shift so much as they just played better. But then playing better when you're the favorite in the series to begin with, that could be a means to extend the series pretty far. Yeah, it felt like Miami, all series, honestly, has been content to let Horford shoot, to let Grant Williams shoot, to let Derek White shoot. Um, and they actually got burned for it for the first time all series last night and also i might point out boston is not a high turnover team uh, meaning they don't force a lot of turnovers miami turned it over on like seven straight possessions to blow that game open last night seems a little bit unsustainable maybe i'm crazy and the thing about the heat shooting that bears mentioning is that last year they were the number one three-point shooting team in the nba <laughs> last season this season they were 27th in the playoffs, they're number one again. Mm. I, I, I tend to think these guys can make shots um, when called upon. There was that one play that just, I was just like, all right, this is this is Boston getting eliminated. Tatum hurries back on defense, makes an incredible block from behind on Max Struess. He gets the ball back somehow, wide open, cans a three, puts them on up nine. And I was like, oh my God, Boston is dead. This is it. This is this is where they go home. This is Missoula's last game as their coach. Blah, 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 blah. We start doing all of this email, second question, um, second guessing, all of this other crap. Um, and then they score 18 straight points and sort of take a stranglehold of the game. I just, I don't, I don't know. I, these guys haven't focused on defense all series, all playoffs, if we're being honest. All season. Um, all season. <laughs> like, honestly, if we're being, if we're being upfront about it, like, they really yeah. haven't. And so I, I don't see why I should think they're going to somehow shut off Miami's water 
for the next three games after this and get this done. I, I don't think this is sustainable, but it's not crazy. Isn't it like 155 and 0 in the NBA when a team is down three zip? I, I have no reason to think that this is the series that that changes. I think the case for would be that if you were to future cast going into the series, how the Celtics would win this series, it was to look exactly like they did last night. Like, yeah, there was some sloppiness, particularly at the start of the game. I think Tatum turned it over twice in the first like 22 seconds and then had like three turnovers by midway in the first quarter. Uh, It seemed like a lot of the same issues did start to rear their head. On the other hand, They not only shot a ton of threes, which by now I think even the casual fan has heard the stat about if they make a certain amount of threes, I believe it's 40%, they tend to win the game. But they were also generating those looks. I think in particular, Tatum did a good job of driving and kicking out to those guys. He had seven assists at that game. Even Brown, who was pretty awful once again from three-point land, at a certain point in the game made a pretty conscious effort to be driving to kick. And so I think if you were to say you were an optimist, Joe Missoula calling timeouts, although it seemed like uh, based on a report that uh, Marcus Smart was leading one of the huddles, even in Joe Missoula's chair, which I thought oh, was, uh, was was notable. But I Good guess God. this is probably the way they're going to win if they are going to win, Rob. Well, yeah, they were. The, the, the better team to begin with in terms of the talent on the roster. It's never been a question of like, again, do they have enough, but are they doing the right things at the right time? Do they know what buttons to press? Do they know how to navigate a series? I think we still have a lot of questions about those things. You know, even just their ability to navigate some of these games and the tactics within them. I, I, I don't think we've seen anything to change our opinion of who the Celtics are And how they go about making decisions within these games. How they go about thinking about how do we attack the zone defense? How do we break down this coverage? Where should we be going at this point in time? Yes, they were able to generate some of the same shots they've been able to generate all series. I agree with you on Jalen Brown. I think there is some optimism in the fact that for as poorly as he shot, it it seemed like he did kind of make the conscious choice of, okay, I'm going to have to start attacking this a different way because... I'm not just going to shoot my way out of whatever it is that's ailing me at this point in time. So there is optimism and things like that. But ultimately, they are who they are. Like, they're still the team that got themselves in the 3-0 hole to begin with. I think they can extend it. I think they can be competitive. I think they're going to put up more of a fight, certainly, than they did in Game 3 going forward. But Waz is right. Like, the, the odds are what they are for a reason. And especially when you're a team like the Celtics that just in terms of tactics, in terms of decision-making, got yourself in a hole, that's a hard one to get out of. I just think there was a top-down, blasé attitude about this season um, and a certain level of confidence that the Boston Celtics' talent would be able to carry today. And they have not spent very much time being a locked-in group. Hate to be the one that brings up the Denver Nuggets here, guys. But when you watch (laughs) them who... (laughs) Just hate it. <laughs> but when you watch them play, they're, they're so connected as a group in everything that they do on offense and on defense. Like, these guys are playing in unison. Uh, you look at the, the freaking huddles where everybody, KCP, who was damn near a mute in L.A., is now like a veteran vocal leader over there. Like, they're just a together group. And they've treated most of the season, if not the last 15 games, as a project of... These are the habits we're building in order to get to an NBA championship. Boston, again, from a top down, 
where management is just like, all right, we fired our coach. We're trying to win a championship. Let's throw a complete novice in there because we're so freaking good. It doesn't even matter. Right. Um, like I just think that's been the attitude over there all year long. And now they're down three one in the conference finals to a freaking eighth seed. Um, and yeah, no, I don't think they're gonna come back and make this thing competitive and relevant. I was gonna say, I just I love how when teams win, all of a sudden the role players just become firefighters saving cats from trees. It's just like KCP, emotional right. leader who that's who right. Sold, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. He's coming to his own as a leader, a veteran there you go. leader. He's a veteran voice. Imagine what a guy like that could have did in a place like Memphis. You know what I'm sure. saying? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Justin out here trying to pretend like Kenny hasn't done this before. Trying I to mean, pretend like he isn't this on, guy. Man. <laughs> just man, he was incredible in the playoffs just rude. in 2020. Just rude. Lord uh, have mercy. Anyway, what were you going to say, Rob? I, I don't even think to what Waz's point about how connected or disconnected the Nuggets look relative to the Celtics. Honestly, for Boston, I think they are just the least connected of any of these four teams that were in the conference finals. The, Lake, yeah. the Lakers are out of here, yeah. but they had that kind of connection. Some they resiliency, had a, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They had a sense of like exactly what every player needs to be doing at any given point in time. And they're just going to toggle options and they're going to figure it out. And like, yeah, we need to take... D'Angelo Russell's minutes down at some points, but like in terms of who is on the floor and how it's operating, there was a clear sense of what was happening there. That's just not always the case with Boston. And a lot of that comes down to not necessarily having all of the answers coming into the game. Some of it is, as we've talked about the timeouts, not figuring out things on the fly and kind of recalibrating over the course of it. Some of it has been as simple as like, what are your best players doing at a given point in time? And there have been points in this series, you know, this gigantic second half run from Boston excluded, where you could even see it in the first half defensively. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, when they're not on the ball, are just kind of chilling on the weak side, yeah. just standing there. Not there really. Rot- no freaking movement on that team, dude. And, and they're in that space where they're not helping, but they're not hugging on the perimeter either. They're just kind of in no man's land, and it's unclear about what they're contributing in those moments. And there's moments like that on offense too, where you're going against a zone. Maybe it shouldn't take four games for Jason Tatum to get to the elbow. You know, I I don't know why some of these things are so arduous for Boston sometimes. So I don't, I don't want to step on our boss Bill's corner here when it comes to temperament, doctor, body language, doctor, like just watch post game, pregame, Spolstra speak. There's a confidence and a conviction and a calm about what he and the group are trying to accomplish and contrast that with the defensiveness and the the bluster of some of the Missoula stuff where it's a guy that is completely out of his depth and over his head in over his head. I think that permeates throughout the rest of what the team is trying to do. Maybe I'm crazy for thinking that. Maybe that's too pie in the sky, kumbaya. You know, it's not hard facts, but it feels that way watching it in the groups. And I'm, and again, they won yesterday. Good for them. They didn't embarrass themselves with the sweep, but they have not demonstrated. I'm talking about against Philadelphia. I'm talking about against Atlanta. They have not demonstrated themselves to be a team that we should trust with <laughs> making history. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah. Listen, like, even though, like, Jason Tatum was flashing to the elbow in that fourth quarter, why was he even out? 
to begin with to start the fourth mm. quarter? Why wasn't he powering through LeBron style and playing more mm. minutes? Uh, why it's, is Mark, why is Derek LeBron. White still be switched being switched onto Jimmy Butler when that hasn't worked before? I think there is like just a broader philosophical question, one that's honestly pretty similar to what the Heat did to the Bucks and how the Bucks responded to that. Where it's like, how much do you just keep leaning into what you have done before? What has in a broad sample worked before? versus change things up. And I, I feel like in this game, we saw Missoula almost leaning more into the, the pretty typical recipe with the Celtics, still playing Al Horford, no double bigs, and just jacking threes as much as possible, relying on Derek White in those situations to come up with the blocks from behind, which he hasn't got for most of the series, but he got one last night. And so I, I must wonder if it's like, if you're Missoula, Rob, are you trying to do different things? And, and with the understanding that, like, I don't know if you're as skilled as it, as someone like Spo, or are you just saying, well, well, we have to believe in what we do and just hoping that we could do enough of it? Well, I think they've they've kind of already made those changes, right? The rotation changes have already come for the most part. And I think like getting Grant Williams on the floor for more minutes was a big part of it. We're seeing, I think, some of the limitations of Malcolm Brogdon in some of these games, especially when he's, he's the big not, one. Yeah. When he's not willing to shoot quickly, he's kind of a drag on their offense right now. And so I think we could see his minutes if he, if he again, if he's not willing to do that or they're just getting a, a sense as a coaching staff that he's not in that space where he's willing to fire, his minutes might have to come down too. But that's the trouble when you have both Brogdon and Derek White, two guys who can both clam up at certain times. And say what you will about Al Horford, but like he's at least letting it fly. You know, he hasn't made it in seven games, I think, or so leading into this one, was shooting like 21% from the feet from three over the course of those games. But finally hit some threes here. Again, generating the same shots as you're saying, the process is not so different, but you have to have people who are at least willing to project as threats. That's where guys like Brogdon have been hurting a little bit. So I don't know that there's a lot more rotation-wise to change. You know, I I don't think like the answer is oh, we're going to play so much more Rob Williams or something and go super big against this Miami team. I don't think options like that are really tenable. It's more, you have all of these versatile players on the floor. Why are we running into so many different walls when you should be able to navigate around them? That That's kind of more my issue than any rotation bugaboo. I think one other optimist case, if you want to make for Boston, because we're clearly big Boston optimists here, was showing up wearing green. So thank you for fitting the theme. Um <laughs> I mean, Gabe Vidson going out late in the game with the what seemed to be a turned ankle. He was joking Oof. on the bench with Jimmy as time kind of wound down there uh, at the end of the game. So I, I wonder how big of an issue that's going to be. But this is clearly a pretty thin heat team. They're basically playing at this point, what, six guys? And then you throw in like an occasional 12 minutes for love, uh, a couple minutes for our guy Duncan Robinson if he is hitting threes and then like the the like five or so minutes for Cody Zeller just because you have to give Bam out, out of bio some rest. So you have to wonder if that starts to wear. And like these have been pretty short series for the Heat, right? Where they, they take out the Bucks pretty quickly. They take out the Knicks relatively quickly. You do wonder if Jimmy Butler is starting to feel the effects of, the, of some of these longer series where he was pretty much doubled over at halftime in the previous game in game three. And so I do wonder, he had 29 points in this game, but it was among the most muted 29 that I can remember. I do wonder 
the Celtics having so much depth, maybe that starts to bear in a longer series. I think the Celtics are the more talented team. I, like <laughs> We all thought that being the case coming in, we thought they would defend the hell out of Miami and essentially it would become a numbers game where the Heat just couldn't find baskets outside of what Jimmy was able to provide with his individual brilliance, right? I think that's the case you tell yourself as a Celtics fan. Like, we have the better players, um, but you do not come out and demonstrate that talent gap on a night-to-night basis, on a quarter-to-quarter basis. It's rare that you watch a quarter where the Celtics feel like a much better team than Miami, right? Um, They just don't do it collectively, um, and they clearly don't have the schematic advantage coming from on high. And so uh, to me, I I don't think those advantages will be pressed much. I think they'll have some moments where it's like, oh, snap, these are signs of life. But Miami has demonstrated themselves to be far superior in the effort category, in the execution um, and focus category. And their best guy more consistently brings it. And not only brings it for himself, brings his guys along. He becomes the best freaking playmaker on the team when he's getting right. Um, And so you have to, to me, you have to believe in Jimmy's ability to sort of do that and carry them home. Yeah, I mean, depth is practical, right? It depends on your ability to put those pieces in the right in the right spots, in the right places, to be able to maneuver your roster in a particular way, to make sure all the pieces fit in ways where they're actually complementing each other versus just kind of like, okay, we're spacing the floor, I guess, so these other guys can operate, but there's not necessarily a lot of coordination there. The Gabe Vincent thing is tough if he can't play, but if he can play, we're kind of at a point in the series where my just general expectation is that Gabe Vincent on one ankle is probably going to outplay Marcus Smart and Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon anyway. <laughs> That's just kind of where we're at. Uh, so I guess I guess we'll we'll see what his status is going forward and if we need to kind of like dramatically readjust our expectations. But you're right in the sense that if Vincent is hurt, all of a sudden. Game five takes on a dramatically different flavor for the Heat. Then it's a game where it's like, okay, Jimmy, Bam, supposing he because they had a foul trouble, Caleb Martin, Kyle Lowry, those guys are all of a sudden due for 45 to 47 minutes. And at the intensity of the Heat play with, with just, again, the fact that they are overcoming a talent gap, like for everything we've said about Boston, when you're playing the way the Heat are playing, you just have to work harder for your buckets in a lot of ways. You have to work harder for your stops in a lot of ways. The minutes that these guys are logging for Miami are tough minutes. So adding three or four even to, to some of their workloads is a significant thing. But they might have to treat it that way. They might have to treat it as like, we need to get out of this series and get Gabe Vincent on the mend if he's not available. Because the longer this thing goes, the more dangerous it's going to get in that capacity. Or Rob, they can just give the ball to Caleb Martin because apparently <laughs> nobody can stay in front of this dude. The like it was insane the way he was just taking guys to the rack from the freaking three point. I'm like Jason Tatum, stop it! You can't keep getting Caleb Martin in front of you with your quickness and your length. Wow, maybe that's just the answer, Rob. <laughs> Caleb Martin, twenty nine made threes in this playoffs alone. In his second season, so his last season with Charlotte, 31 yep. over an entire season. He's out playing <laughs> Jalen Brown. Like I, I, I assume at some point, maybe he won't play like uh, a second team all NBA guy, but I wouldn't bet against it. 
at this point. Um, it, it, it kind of felt, it feels like at this point, Caleb Martin has put the Celtics in like the film room blender where they went in expecting to do what they did last time, which is like, we're going to let this guy shoot. We're going to put Rob Williams on him. We're going to help off him. Then he started making every three. And now he now it's like, oh, my God, we have to overreact to every Caleb Martin potential three. And now he's just getting layups. Yeah, just an historic playoff guy run. Uh, Can we have the Missoula uh, conversation just quickly? Because I don't know if we'll ever circle back to it, given the way these Mm -hmm. games are spaced out. How much of what we're talking about was are you saying is a Missoula issue? Because uh, time and time again, it seems to be execution, seems to be turnovers, seems to be guys in the right place. Or is it as much a roster problem where they're constantly leaning on guys like a Tatum, a Brown, even a Brogdon to a white to a certain extent to play make when it seems like their versatility is is maybe a little bit more of an asset than being a go-to bulletproof playmaker in the clutch playoff sort of situation? I think the problem with Joe Mazzulla is that it's impossible to evaluate him divorced from the personnel issues, meaning if he can't coax something out of these guys that would improve their limitations as you just expressed them, uh, Justin, in the playmaking department, then that's his fault. Um, And you can say whatever you want about... And I'm sympathetic to the idea that Tatum, Brown, Horford, Smart... All of these guys have been very far in the playoffs and not just individually, collectively, together they have done this. And so the idea that they can't rise to the occasion of understanding, I don't know, ball movement, moving without the basketball, like rotating on defense where Miami makes one pass and a dude is wide open. There's no, like, they don't even have to swing, 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 and the very last guy gets to shoot it open. It's just one pass, and a guy's wide open. Like, I've seen this team make those rotations. I've seen these exact players in this these same jerseys make those rotations. So there's something to be said about that with that veteran group. However, there's no reading of Joe Mazzula's tenure here that says he's risen to the occasion of the moment. He has not. He has not coached as if a championship were on the line. I don't think anybody could say that. And so if he ultimately is the downfall, and guess what? That's how all coaches operate. Do people realize that Nick Nurse won a championship in 2019? Budenholzer won one in 2021. These guys are gone. They've won chips. These guys are gone, okay? So no, Joe Mazzulla's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. He's done. Monty Williams was just in the finals. He's gone. You know, like that's just how it goes, man. Freaking the Lakers coach, okay? Frank, 2020. Frank <laughs> are we talking Frank Vogel? Vogel. Okay, Forgot okay. his yeah. name. <laughs> Frank Vogel, gone. He's been gone. You understand what right. I'm saying? Like, this idea that Joe Mazzulla, who has done dick all since he's got the Boston, just can't get blamed for the failures of this championship-level squad, I just don't buy it. You, you got to get gone, bro. You haven't risen to the, equa- uh, the occasion. Maybe you haven't risen to the equation either. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, a lot of it for me, and I know, look, I, I, I imagine there are a lot of fans who 
hear us reacting to Missoula in press conferences or sound bites or things like that and probably think we're blowing some of that stuff out of proportion. To me, when you work in coaching, you work in communications. And it's how you sell your message to your team. It's how you control the narrative after losses, after wins, after everything. It's how you get everyone on the same page. Like, Justin, I know you were clowning Michael Malone for his, like, nobody is taking us seriously tacked uh, in the Western (laughs) Conference Finals. You know what he succeeded in doing is getting everyone to talk nicely about the Denver Nuggets. And I genuinely... Look... Having Everyone been in that but series, you, Justin, you yeah, okay. salty. You didn't get on the train. No, I feel no, like I, you salty. I feel like I hear more about like people complaining about people not talking about the Nuggets than I actually hear people talking about the Nuggets. But that's I, just because you spend a lot of time talking to me and Rob. That's all that. Yeah, is. yeah that's. <laughs> no, but I do. I, mean, I do true. think there was some of that. I think what he did was put a lot of media members on the defensive in ways they where they went on podcasts like ours and said. We're not them. We're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets in a positive way and all the things they're doing right. Like, this is, I honestly think. How did we get are here? You listening to, are you listening to the telecast? The, the ballots being public. Mark Jackson has done nothing but suck up to Nikola Jokic for a week and a half <laughs> true, straight. Yes. He is just well, praising this guy. He's got some atoning to do, I think. Way just that a beautiful high five the, from Mark oh Jackson, from uh, Nikola Jokic, dude. yeah. So, so Rob is onto something. My, my larger point about Joe Missoula is if you're going to make mistakes in the management of a game and then also make mistakes in how you control how that story is told, yeah. you're probably not going to be in that job for very you're long. Like You have to be able to do one of those two things well. And right now, he's not really doing either of them very well. Which is surprising because he's watched The Town so much, a movie with a very well-told story. <laughs> You would think he would have picked up some some pointers uh, on the very least, of, like the three act structure, because apparently that's that's how he would have done well in these playoffs. I mean, isn't this isn't the story of the town though basically about a team coming apart at the seams through like random oh acts of indiscretion? Like it's it's kind of on point for unfortunately where the Celtics are, but they get away with it at the end. Well, at least well, the Celtics. The Celtics are not going to get away with it. They're going to lose this series um, to a team that they should have beat. One hundred percent should be beating this team, and I think handily they should have been beating the Heat in five games, six games at best. Um, when you think about the talent disparity and the collective um, experience, but you know, a lot of hubris <coughs> from the players from management, and I can understand Brad Stevens is like, why shouldn't I hire a a wonderkind? I'm a fucking wonderkind. What the hell? You know what I mean? Like, I can understand the thought process kind of, uh, you know, ownership cheaping out, (laughs) you know, uh, when people say, they couldn't just, they couldn't just change stuff midstream. Atlanta did it. (laughs) It was like the beginning. We've seen people do it. Well, how did that go? I I think the counter would be like, I mean, they made the plan. Okay, cool. We're, 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 they were pretty I'm, competitive against this freaking Celtics team. That, that I think I, now. I think it would have been a tough situation to considering the timing of the Adoka news reveal to yes. go outside of the organization and bring someone in. And, and like, I do wonder if like other veteran co- coaches like a Quinn Snyder would have been receptive to walking into a situation that at that point was like pretty dicey. You know, I I, I, I Wait, think like you, to a large extent. Hold on, walking into a situation where I get five years guaranteed money to coach a championship team, other coaches might not have been interested in that. 
That sounds that sounds weird. That sounds like I don't know. This is what coaches want: talent, when and security. As the organization was embroiled in like a potential like litigation situation with their head. Like I, I think we forget like how toxic seemingly that was as a situation. And I think they made the easy decision to just hold hand on. it over to hold someone on. Hold on, available. Justin, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I don't know about You're this. You're saying this was extremely toxic situation, which I agree with. So the answer was to put the league's youngest coach in charge in a situation? I don't understand that. That like, that's not a, that like, to me, that was the most cost efficient way to handle this. It was like the day before like the the training camps started. It was also like a very odd time to like start bringing another voice in. I'm not saying it was like the perfect solution. Yeah. I'm saying it's like it wasn't a clear cut like, oh, let's just go bring someone in and this will all be great. Like Frank Vogel, come on in here and and drain the swamp and we'll win a title. Like I think it was a much more difficult situation than I think we're lending it to be. I mean, I think back in the days interim used to mean interim. <laughs> okay like the word actually meant something and the tag actually meant something it's like yeah this dude's a placeholder we you know um <laughs> bill's dad called him second row joe we literally just put a backbencher in charge of the championship favorite in the nba yeah we literally just did that we can't make that a permanent situation and you know whatever you know there was a lot of propaganda in the media about how ready this guy was and you know he had just happens to be rep by CAA and wouldn't you know it the most well connected agency was was getting all of this great press out there about how oh this guy oh he's a gamer oh He's he's picking up stuff so quickly. Oh, he's so good. And you know, the, the freaking ownership and on down. It was it was bad. And we can kill him for it now. Cause it's it's turned out bad. <laughs> I mean, if sure. we're being honest about why he's in that job, I agree, Justin. The timing of what happened was a huge part of it. Not only because it was so close to the start of the season, but because if it had happened weeks or months earlier. Will Hardy might be the coach of the Boston Celtics right now, right? Like something like 100%. that. Something 100%. like that could have happened instead. As to whether they should have gone that way, given the timing, I'm more on Waza's side on this in the sense that the Celtics just come, came off a trip to the finals. This was not a team that was like, oh, we need to learn this new system. We need to like do, overhaul all this stuff going into training camp. I get why they thought they could just kind of plug in continuity and rely on the same mechanisms, but I, I feel like another coach could have stepped in there. Like They could have spent the first 20 games of their season as their training camp and been just fine. And instead, they're here, which is they've been riding on the same shit they thought they could get away with all season into the playoffs. And they finally showed up in a game four where, yes, we're probably not giving them enough credit for how well they played in the second half, but it probably should not take you three and a half games to show up when you're the favorite in the Eastern <laughs> in Conference the Finals. Conference Finals, guys. I'm not, I'm not arguing that Missoula was the right hire. I guess I'm arguing that any hiring wouldn't have worked because when has there ever been a situation where a coach was hired in the midst of the season or like the day before training camp that went on to win the title, right? It's always been someone within the organization. It's Pat yeah. Riley coming down. We've all watched winning yeah, time. Ty, Ty Lue was already yeah. on, this, on the staff. And, I guess. You know, that Ty was, definitely... was the associate head coach. Yeah, yeah but uh, it's just So different. like, is continuity like a, a terrible idea? No, it was the best. Not even but the best. It but was they didn't one pick of the, the worst. Associate ideas. head coach Justin because he had the Eme stink on him. 
they felt like Damon Stoudemire was an Ime guy, even though he wasn't the one that was too horny to not be fired. He just was Stoudemire had- the associate. I think he was like third in line there, and then he even left during the season, which I I think is probably another part of this that no one talks about that he just went to georgia tech <laughs> in order well, to get a head job well yeah. he got he got passed up by brad stevens's guy from the back of the bench like that's what happens on a lot of these staffs is if you end up mm-hmm. promoting someone like him joe missoula you're gonna lose a lot of the assistants who thought they were waiting in line when in fact the line can be skipped at any time for any reason based on management's you know management's that's whims based on managing a disaster situation yep that's a really good point This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Let's uh, let's go on to a situation that's totally great. Nothing is wrong Everything is going to work out the way in which we expected. Uh, I'm talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, who are now dealing with, question mark, maybe LeBron James retiring. Or is he retiring? Or how much of this matters? Um, Waz, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Like, What's your big read on the situation? Hmm. How do I put this? In the words of 45... That's fake news. It's fake news. That is the fakest news I've ever heard. Fake, fake news. LeBron James ain't retiring, y'all. Like, why are we even doing this? Why are we doing this? This is the fakest news of the season. Uh, Yes, this is LeBron. And a part of it, I respect. I know Justin is a middle management guy, so he might have different views of this. I respect LeBron's constant agitation of management, of being like, you guys should never be fucking comfortable. You guys should never take my greatness, my presence as a given, take it for granted. I'm going to agitate at every single turn. I respect that. 
as like, I'm at the mercy of Jeannie Buss and her regime. Jeannie Buss, again, quietly, as I must say, one of the worst owners in the NBA. Nobody talks about it because another person who's well-connected in the media. She's never taken me to lunch, so I'm not afraid to say it. Um, This is the only leverage that he has over his bosses. And so he does it. But we can ask Eduardo, producer, Justin, Rob, Did a single one of you hear that LeBron quote and think, oh my God, he might not play next season? I think there is a 0% chance he does not play another NBA game. (laughs) Right? Justin, is it any higher than zero? Five. Is it? Five (laughs) percent? You never know, man. I do know. Eduardo's on on Team Robin Waz. No shot, he says. (laughs) No there could be way. like a, a delay of the surgery Kyrie Irving style. <laughs> Maybe the, like it's now LeBron taking cues from Kyrie as opposed to the other way around. I think the only instance in which he quote unquote retires is if he takes a year off to get the foot right and then comes back to play whatever team Bronny is playing for when he gets drafted. Is that a retirement? I mean, I, I wouldn't really call it one. Guys sit out seasons for injury all the time. Like, I guess we'll see kind of how that plays and, and what the what the narrative around it, the explanation of it is. But the most likely outcome is he shows up in the fall or the winter. Or maybe, maybe he starts the season a little late if it requires surgery and recovery. Why would we possibly think that LeBron is, <clears throat> is actually going to retire? But the genius of him doing this, and you know, he really understands better than any player in the league that part of the game is understanding how to control the narrative when you lose. <laughs> we, we ha- we're having a two-track conversation. It is, though. Is it not? <laughs> you're, you're big into like the, the, the politics of, of press conferences today. <laughs> but th- look, this is, this is the thing. It's like, we're on this, this podcast game, talking. We're, ha- we're having the conversation. Like, is LeBron going to retire? I'm, Waz and I are telling you, we don't even believe it to be true, but we have to entertain the conversation which means we see him creating the smoke screen. We see the smoke trailing all the way back to LeBron on the ground, you know, banging uh, flint and steel together to make sparks. But we have to trace it all the way back down and we have to look at it and say, oh, we know LeBron is doing this. Why would he be doing this? And that leads us down the rabbit hole of like, oh, is their roster good enough? Oh, does he want them to retain certain guys? Oh, is he trying to put pressure on them to trade for Kyrie, to trade for Star X? He get LeBron in doing this gets to have it both ways. He gets to have his heroic game four exit where he had as dominant a first half as we've seen from him in a long time, played his heart out, played basically every second of that game, then went on the press conference stage and told us what we should be talking about, which is one of the greatest players of all time might retire. Talk about that for a couple days. (laughs) And we're like, yes, podcast segment, let's go. Some of us are like that, Justin. Some of us are like that more than others. So I I think, I I actually don't care about the retirement stuff so much as what it signals. About his relationship with That's what I'm saying, though. No, 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 not even in the relationship to the team, but the status of the team. And we talked about this at the end of game three. I do feel like they hit the, the, they maxed out on the AD LeBron plus other guys to fill around approach. And I think LeBron is keenly aware of that. Not getting a single game against the Nuggets is is a pretty big indictment. The Nuggets are an awesome team. They deserve all the plaudits that they're getting, despite what these guys might tell you about my opinion about the Nuggets. We love to hear you finally admit it. But not (laughs) even getting (laughs) game four with LeBron playing every minute and really going out and dying on his shield, I think was probably a signal to him that like we need more. 
And I don't disagree. The problem is like, how does that happen? Because they went to great extents just to get some of these role players, almost all of whom are basically up for free agency now. And so the Lakers are caught in this pretty no-win situation where you could roll back the team that couldn't get it done this season, or you could strip it all down, try to get a Kyrie or God forbid a Trey Young in there. But even that is like painfully difficult because those guys all make a certain amount of money that's going to make it almost near impossible. And so I'm like, I understand if LeBron's point was to point toward like, we need to do something more. I get it. But I also wonder like, what can they do? Like it is an impossible situation. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if there was competent management over there? Um, who could who you trusted to deal with this in a manner that would make sense and keep the team on on solid ground? I don't think anybody trusts as much as we want to be like, wow, Rob Palinka, he he really fixed this thing during the trade deadline. It's like he's can I push the back? one. Yes, go ahead. I think the moves that the Lakers made on the fringes were excellent. Yeah. I think like the fact that Austin Ree is a former two-way guy is now like a core member of this team who could reasonably get like it's a big deal. Like a $20 million a year annual value contract, I think is like a godsend. Like we want to talk about Herb Jones like getting picked in the second round and like what an amazing pick that was. This is way better because this is like a core guy now. Like so I do think they made a lot of moves that made this team the best possible version it could be. But to your point, like yeah, the 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 back the background and like some of the previous moves have been pretty spotty. Well, even in his in his exit interview, Anthony Davis was saying like, we don't even know what our team is going to look like. Or sorry, it might have been his post game interview. Just like there's so many guys on this team who are free agents. We have no idea what the roster is going to look like. But when you run down that list of free agents and you think about like, how much would it hurt to lose a Lonnie Walker? How much would it hurt to lose an Austin Reeves? I, I think, you know, the, the degrees to which that would actually like pain the Lakers may vary, but they're all guys that they found either like on the scrap heap for minimums in trades for second round yeah. picks for the mid-level exception. Like they are, they are doing what teams in their position need to be doing given all the constraints that Justin talked about. Austin Reeves cannot go anywhere. That is no, no, that is not in the, that's not even a conversation. I think Rui has shown that he's a guy. Yeah. He's done it in big possessions, big games. He's a guy. And Dennis Schroeder was literally your only point of attack defender who wasn't LeBron or AD. <laughs> like, um, to me, those are the guys I look at and be like, all right, man, these guys can't really be moved. The rest of that, uh, I'm looking at you, D'Angelo Russell. Do I really need that? <laughs> sure. I certainly but don't at that believe point, so. If you're bringing back Reeves and Hachimura and you're saying like, eh, Forget the rest. Or maybe like Schroeder. Like, first of all, Schroeder's going to need a, a bigger contract because he was playing on the minimum on a make good deal. Like, you're now cap constrained to potentially only the mid-level exception. And you basically need to do all the work that you did previously yet again. You need to find, keep finding guys for minimums on two ways, whatever. And that's like kind of the problem with teams that are so top heavy. This is even before we get into all of the salary cap constraints that are coming in the new CBA, which is going to make it near impossible to even maybe even have AD LeBron Reeves if Reeves gets what what I think we think he deserves. And so like I just wonder if we're at Occam's razor here and that 
like maybe this is the end of a LeBron James team life cycle. Like typically in in Cleveland and in Miami, that it's been four years. This is now going into what year six. I wonder if like a, a, a organization that wants to go all in in order to support LeBron like he's used to can even function in year six because of the pressures and the amount of work you need to do on the fringes in order to build around him. It is tough. I mean, if we're just going to play the LeBron hits back, because it does seem like that's kind of the way this goes to your point about the life cycle, like this this guy needs a, a fucking playmaker, you know, like he, they need another point guard. That's, this is the problem with the, D, the D'Angelo Russell conversation is they do kind of need a player like him, just not him. They need yeah. they, they need someone who will make better decisions. They need someone who can just like be more consistent as a shooter, who won't stop the ball, who won't be as much of a target uh, defensively. Because we kind of saw over the course of that series, if Dennis Schroeder is your only guy, like Schroeder can be a little inconsistent himself offensively. He can be very foul prone if you're putting him in high leverage matchups. That's not exactly the answer either. And LeBron, while he can be dominant, for a half at a time, like he's just not equipped to be a full-time attack-the-basket playmaker over the course of multiple consecutive series. So like you do need, whether it's Austin Reeves growing even in, in, like into that role even more or bringing in another guard who's going to be in this kind of platoon situation, you do need more ball handlers there. You do need more like structural playmaking help. Yeah, and also, if I'm Rob Palenka, I'm just... I'm just sending whoever pictures of Russell Westbrook's face. Anytime I hear a single thing about LeBron retiring and agitating about the roster and blah, blah, blah. Last time we let you bully us into some veteran upgrade, superstar, third banana, blah, blah, blah thing. It was a fucking disaster for a year and a half. All disaster. Not one moment of sunlight or daylight in... 18 months, the last time we let you bully us into some must-have veteran acquisition. So there's something to the idea of Palinka saying, like, nah, we sticking with the youngins, man. <laughs> we want to be with the youngins, all this other shit. Like, yo, bro, last time we tried to do this, it was terrible. We traded away wing depth. We traded away youth. We traded away all this versatility to bring in a bum or somebody who played like a bum, excuse me, for us anyway. And so that's that's sort of the 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 pushback that you give to the LeBron quote unquote scare tactics. Well, there was a great, I don't know if you guys saw the Kyle Kuzma response to uh Rob Rob Polinka mentioned that he wants to keep the core of young guys together, and Kuz gave a uh, a lot of tears crying emoji. Heard that before <laughs> response. Just just to bring this whole I point full Kuzma's. circle. Kuzma will never let the Lakers trading him for no freaking reason go. And rightfully so. That really was kind of the original sin of, of everything that ultimately was ailing this team was that deal and what they had to give up to execute it. They were able to save so much face and pull everything together to make this run. And genuinely, like I, we're giving LeBron some grief about his messaging here, but the way he was, what he was willing to put on the line to push the Lakers this far and the way he played over the course of these playoffs is nothing but admirable as hell. Like he, he put it out there in exactly the way you want your best player to put it out there. At the same time, like, if they had oh, a boy. credible big man, do we not think they would have been way more, like, an, a, a big man alternative to AD, like, behind him that isn't Winyan Gabriel, Tristan Thompson, and Mo Bamba? 
Like, if we, if they had some, like, credible big man next to AD, I think a lot of their problems this series of just being completely incapable of guarding Denver would be would have been mitigated um, in a lot of ways. I, it doesn't feel like this roster is, like, head and shoulders worse than Denver. These were, like, competitive games. I just think they were handicapped in ways that, you know, spelt death against this specific opponent, right? I don't think they go out against Miami, say, in the next round and just get their doors blown off. Same, absolutely not, with Boston. Um, and so, yo, part of me is just like, I mean, do they really need to panic for real and, like, completely overhaul this thing? I don't know. I love the the contrast in those team-building approaches, though, between the Nuggets and the Lakers, where, Justin, as you said, part of the Lakers' problem is that they are so top-heavy. It is LeBron and AD and we're going to fill in the gaps with whatever we can find. And that requires you, as you laid out, when those guys become free agents, you have to all of a sudden find another scrap heap guard who's going to be just as good. You have to overpay guys to keep them in the house. You know, you, you hit it big with Austin Reeves, but now you got to manage to retain him. On Denver's side, you have a very different proposal, very different formula, which is you have a, a pretty clear core four or five guys. And you're trying to keep those plates all spinning in the air at the same time. And we've seen what happens when two of them get hurt you know, obviously there's there's different risk factors involved, but when you have a core four versus a core two, now all of a sudden what you need is like, can Jeff Green just be good enough for this one series to get us through it? You're, you're just relying on one of these like roll the dice role players as opposed to whatever the Lakers look like next season, they're probably going to need like three or four or five roll the dice guys to all come up sixes or fives. And we'll we'll see if they have that in them again or if they can at least keep enough of these guys in house. See, I don't know. I think if they retain the core of what they have and then add another, let's say, a Bruce Brown proxy, just like really hit a home run on the mid-level in the way that they didn't with Lonnie Walker, I think this team is probably back in the mix yet again. I probably be in the mix. Pick, yeah. They put pick, like, pick them to win the West, but like... I, 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 once again, I find myself aligning with Palenka more than I ever expected in my life, but like, I do wonder if he's right, in, in large part because like... Also, how many games is LeBron going to play in the regular season? How many games is AD going to play in the regular season? Like, I, I I know it's hard to remember now when D'Angelo Russell is just putting up one for five performances from three and just like basically <laughs> dying on every screen. But like, he helped them get through the stretch at the end of the regular season without he LeBron did. James yeah, in order did. to make the play in. And so he like did, he did. He's a very solid regular season player, especially in the last 15 when most teams are tanking. And, um, you know, you're playing a bunch of bums anyway. So, yeah, he's solid for that. He, he's nice, as D'Angelo said himself of his own <laughs> game. He's nice. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if, like, the big that they need, that extra big, might just be Jared Vanderbilt, but, like, maybe Vanderbilt, who has worked all summer on his corner three so that he could be a viable mm-hmm. offensive player that you just, mm-hmm. like, can't just play off the floor immediately. I think, he's a, I think he's more than a summer away from a credible corner three. Yeah. Because he can't even be P.J. Tucker from the corner. Like you can't even imagine his threes going in. He's a uh, he's been in that place for a while. You know, t- teams have been waiting on j- the Jared Vanderbilt corner three experience for a long time, and that's not to say that guys don't have like a mid career renaissance in this way, but the Lakers have to be banking on more than just that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to spare you the the last part of this where I I suggest whether or not LeBron should return to the Heat or the Cavs or the Knicks, and let's let's, let's just wrap it here. No, okay? I no, I kind of do. Wait, hold on. I, I, I kind of do, do. I do find the LeBron 
in a new location. He can't help himself. That's a fun. That's a fun story. Let's go. That is a fun story. So, now some Stockholm so th- syndrome I, going on here. Can I give you the options? <laughs> Hold on. First of all, first of all, Rob, don't yep. front. Like the decision in 2010 was not one of the greatest sports spectacles <laughs> ever. It was. This ain't that. The man is 39 years old. He's on a bum foot. <laughs> but he but still he, got it. He's still pretty freaking good. And he would make a difference, obviously, a m- material difference on any team that he went to. So it is still interesting to think of LeBron actually hightailing his way out of Los Angeles somehow. Yeah, if, if the decision is the sellout tour... Whatever his free agency would be now is like his <laughs> Vegas residency, right? This is late period, late period LeBron. I don't want to be on a plane or a tour bus every day, but I'm going to sell this shit out this every is, this night. This is Fat Elvis. This is Fat Elvis era LeBron. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Just quickly, I'm going to give you the three options here. Okay. You tell me which one you want to see. So it has to be via trade, which would be insane just to start with, but we're already down this rabbit hole. So let's keep going. Uh, to the Miami Heat. They realize, you know what? We did pretty well without Tyler Hero. So we're going to take Kyle Lowry's basically expiring contract at that point and Hero and throw in the picks, whatever you need to make this fantasy situation work for LeBron James. LeBron, it's now LeBron, Jimmy, Bam. They take two threes a game now. All of them are from Duncan Robinson, who is now playing 40 minutes a game because they have nobody else on the roster. The Cleveland Cavaliers. For Darius Garland, who I think would be a godsend, like Garland, AD, plus other guys you would be an awesome Darius team to watch. I, I know. You can't do that. Plus Isaac Okoro for LeBron James. It's now LeBron, Evan Mobley, Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen. Pretty interesting. Um, finally get the wing they need, and it just so happens to be LeBron James for the third time. Or your New York Knickerbockers, the uh, basically fanfic that has been written for what? A decade plus now happens. It's Julius Randle coming back home to LA uh, and RJ Barrett because why not? Jesus Christ. LeBron is now a Knickerbocker. Him and, and, and Brunson are going to war with the Heat in the second round. Fortunately, probably losing that series yet again. <laughs> what sounds the best to you guys? I got a third option and shouts fourth, to yeah. producer Ben, excuse me, fourth option. Shouts to producer Ben Cruz. Let's do something around Jordan Poole's deal. Oh, no. Or maybe Andrew Wiggins' deal and get LeBron to Golden State where him and Draymond could, they could bring that small ball, Draymond at the five, LeBron at the four, and supercharge that thing in Golden State. What do, what do you guys think about that? So KOC wrote a little bit about this for The Ringer this week. I think, so there's the Andrew Wiggins construction feels a little more realistic just in terms of like the salary math because otherwise it's like every young player into the pot just to get the yeah. numbers to work yeah but if you throw wiggins in there I, again i don't really know what kind of team the warriors are at that point i <laughs> I, f- I feel like they really need the young legs at this stage in in their kind of life cycle but i can't he be can't lying i'd want to watch it <laughs> he cannot love do it. that no, I oh would absolutely love watching Steph and LeBron hoop together. Oh yeah, love oh yeah. It. The basketball would be great, but just like all the implications about like narrative wise, you can't do it. It's it's a bad look. It's a bad yeah. look. It's it's not quite as nasty as what KD did, but it's a bad look. 
Yeah. But some some of these other options too, like the Cavs thing has all obviously been in the ether from the day he got to the Lakers. Like, would he ever come back at the end oh, of his career God. for another run? That would run? be the most annoying one. It would be a so little annoying, but, but you can see it being LeBron. plausible at some point. Maybe not now, but at some point. The Heat are one where genuinely, I don't think Miami works that way. No, I they, think they, I, they hate LeBron. They hate him. Hate they, him. they Bradley hates him. They bent. So like, did Gilbert, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> to, be, to be fair, but but Miami bent like its organizational ethic more when LeBron came there and when he was operating there than at basically any point in their recent history. And since he left, I mean, they they already went to one finals. They might be about to go to another finals. Yeah, I would went imagine, to the conference finals last year. Yeah, you know. I would imagine they look at it as saying we don't need LeBron. I would think you that's think how they that would think Pat that. Riley, in the face of bringing LeBron back. And considering how after every season uh, since LeBron has left, he's talked Bro. about chasing stars, he would turn down the Bro. opportunity to bring him back about, here. He felt disrespected by yeah. the, you know, flying to Vegas, Maverick Carter having the TV mad loud and shit. Sure. When he's trying yeah. to explain <laughs> yeah. it. Like, he felt very wounded by that experience. He's not doing it, man. He'll get over that when they're just cashing billion dollar checks and Mickey Arison could like build like four more fleets of of power yachts, you know? I, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't I know, think they're 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 only maybe like one or two or three personal teams. And professional pride there that's just different. Yeah, they're really only like one or two or three teams like wouldn't even really entertain the LeBron possibility. I think the Heat are one of them. Yeah, me too. Are the Kings the other one? Well, they are, you know, they're ready. They're ready made. They're ready for this. <laughs> I actually like that narratively. Like you are now the foil to the Warriors, like uh-huh. straight up Cowtown with LeBron versus oh my gosh. big glitzy San could Francisco. We, could we even imagine LeBron living in Sacramento and like going to the? Like he's gonna LeBron, do the. He's gonna do the Kawhi like live, you know, showing Kawhi living in San Diego, spot? flying into LA, but he's oh he's gonna God, live in San Francisco. Dude. Like fly out that to every game crazy. in Sacramento. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's wrap it there. Please, God. Uh thank you to Eduardo <laughs> Campo on production. Thanks for Ben Cruz for filling in. We'll be back sometime this weekend, depending on how the schedule works out. Uh until then, we'll see you. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.